Keep your Bibles open to uh, Genesis 32. I know some of you may be thinking, I thought we were in Mark's gospel, and we will be. We'll be right back in Mark chapter 14 next week, but this is something I believe that God has, has laid on my heart for a lot of different reasons that, that I'll be able to share. Um, and so I'll just go ahead and cut through the chase today and tell you what I'm hoping and praying and, and believing that God wants to do through this passage of scripture through the truth of, of, uh, of this message from Genesis 32. I'm 44 years old. I've been in ministry, give or take, two decades now. And so I've been able to see up close and very personal the work that God does in, in his people's hearts. I've seen transformation. I've seen brokenness. I've seen failure, both uh, individually and in families and marriages, relationally, all of those things. And I've also seen a lot of, a lot of breakthroughs, a lot of transformative moments where God really just breaks through these barriers and, and restores a person. And I have noticed a pattern. And here has been the pattern. Rarely, if ever, I mean, there would be few exceptions. Rarely, if ever, do you see a, a, a Christian, I'm talking about somebody who's already trusted Christ as their Savior and is following Him as their Lord. Rarely, if ever, do you see a Christian who is stuck they're stuck in this pattern of destructive behavior, destructive beliefs, vicious cycle of besetting sin. Rarely, if ever, do you see a real transformational breakthrough without this deep and profound struggle. And I would even say some type of spiritual crises or trauma. That's been the pattern that I've seen. You could almost say that's a paradigm. Rarely, if ever, is there true breakthrough and, and transformation and change without this deep and profound struggle or crisis or trauma in the lives of Christians. I've seen it over and over. I've seen it historically. I've seen it biblically. I've seen it personally. You can read about it. You can just get on the internet, and, and, which is always a dangerous thing because you don't always know what to, what to believe when you're reading it. You can just read like, true Christian breakthroughs, and there's a crisis, there's a trauma, there's this dramatic encounter with God where somebody finally had to face their maker, their creator, and in doing that, they had to face themselves. And I think we see this really in this story about Jacob. You're wondering, what the heck? That's a weird, that's a weird story. I mean, were you listening when the scripture was wet? Were you, were you following along? So a man jumps out of nowhere in the middle of the night and wrestles Jacob to the ground, and they wrestle all night. And then his name gets changed. What the heck? And the Bible's not boring, is it? It just kind of jumps off the pages at you. Well, I want to I take three, I guess you could call them obstacles, to true transformational breakthrough in a Christian's life. What is it that so hinders us, you and I, from having these breakthroughs that I'm talking about? What do we see from the life of Jacob? There's three things that I think can be real obstacles. Uh, the first one is we refuse to be still and know that, that he is God. We refuse to get alone. I know we talk about Christian community here, and we push community groups, and I love corporate worship, and I'm not retracting any of those things. And at the same time, when we're talking about breakthrough, sometimes God has to get us alone. Just us, just him. You see that all through the scriptures. You see it with Moses, the burning bush out in the wilderness, in the back of the wilderness, he had his crisis. He had his dramatic encounter with God. You see it with Joshua meeting the commander of the Lord's armies, which I believe is a pre-incarnate figure of the Lord Jesus Christ just outside of Jericho. In Joshua 7, you can read about that. You see it in the New Testament, the, the Samaritan woman at the well, just her and Jesus 
confronting her with her lifestyle and bringing her into the kingdom. You see it with the adulterous woman. All her accusers left in John chapter 8. It's just her and Jesus. Transformational moment. You see it historically. Martin Luther rediscovered the gospel when he was by himself in a tower translating the New Testament from Greek into German. And bam, God just did a work in his heart when he understood the righteousness of God is, is what the gospel gives us as a gift. St. Augustine, the great uh, first century theologian and thinker, he was by himself in a garden in Milan. Is that how you say that? Milan, Italy? Milan? Whatever it is. He was by himself in a garden and he heard a voice say, take up and read, take up and read. And he took up Romans 13 and read it and was confronted with just his lustful, proud, deceptive nature. You see that historically, you see it biblically. And I would say this, that dramatic encounter, you could call it a struggle. The title of the message today is the biggest fight of your life. Here's a surprise to a lot of people. I have found in my life, and I see it here in this dramatic encounter, that our biggest fights, our biggest battles, our biggest struggles in the Christian life that lead to breakthrough, they're not with this fallen evil system we call the world, the cosmos. It's evil. It's against us. It's antagonistic, and we're, we're battling it. That's not our greatest battle, though. Our greatest battle, would it be a surprise to you to know, that our greatest battle is not even against Satan, even though we are at war with him, Ephesians 6 says. We have armor. We have weapons. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, the Bible says, right? But against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. But that's not our greatest struggle when we see breakthrough. I would even say this. Our greatest battle and struggle is not with our flesh, those fallen, unredeemed parts of our soul, right? Even though those are all formidable enemies and antagonistic and they're all plotting against us. This is going to sound crazy to you, but listen to me and hear me out. Our greatest struggles, our greatest battles, our greatest fights as Christians that lead to dramatic breakthrough are with God. And everybody got really quiet, so I know the burden of proof is on me. And I'm not saying God is our enemy. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying your greatest struggles are with your allies. We see that here in this encounter with Jacob. And so what's the first obstacle? It's this. God has to get us alone and remove all the distractions, remove all the noise, remove all the busyness, take everything else away that's eclipsing him. And it's got to be just us, ourselves, and him. Now, I probably need to give you a little bit of background um, which is always dangerous when a preacher says that. You're like, here we go on a 30-minute journey through. I'm not, I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm going to tell you just a few vital things that you need to understand about Jacob to understand this story. And maybe we can start with his birth. When Jacob was born, he had a twin brother named Esau. They were both miracles because their mother and their father, Isaac and Rebekah, she was barren. And Isaac prayed for her that she would be fruitful. And God answered the prayer and he gave her twins. And they're struggling in her womb. You remember this? And she goes to God and she says, hey, look, this is a tremendous blessing. But if you have blessed me, why is there war inside of me? I mean, they were going at, they didn't even, these brothers didn't even wait till they were born to start fighting each other. They were fighting in their womb. And God said this, he said, there are two nations within you and they're going to be at war with each other the rest of their lives. And sure enough, he was right. When Esau and Jacob were born, Esau came out first. But do you remember this story? Jacob grabbed his brother's heel. When Esau was coming out of the womb, he grabbed his heel and tried to pull him back. There was this competitive conflict. And so they called Jacob's name Jacob. And you know what that means? 
In Hebrew, it means he who catches by the heel. It really means deceiver, trickster, cheat, fraud, con man. That's what the name Jacob means. Now, you're thinking, man, what a parent. You know, they're like, oh, look, honey, look at, look at this little handy grab. We're going to name him cheat. I mean, how would you like to go through your life with, hey, hey, deceiver, con man, you come here right now. You little trickster. That was his name. That was his name. And in Hebrew, a name was very deeply uh, an identifying factor. It, 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 it was your character. That's why we read things like, he who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Who, he who calls upon his power, his character, his nature, who he is. So at his birth, Jacob was identified. This little human being is a cheat. He's a trickster. He's a fraud. And he lived up to his name. And you know what? One of the blessings that the Lord told his mother was that, now look, you're going to have twin brothers, but it's going to be a different kind of birth. The older is going to serve the younger, which was completely backwards in the ancient Middle East, especially in, in biblical times. You know, the oldest brother received the inheritance. He was the special one. He was endowed with all the blessing, the wealth, the identity, the name. He got everything. But this was going to be opposite. Jacob was promised to be the one who was going to be blessed. But here's where everything went askew. His entire life, Jacob tried to get that blessing in his own way. He was a schemer. He was a con man. He manipulated. He tried to control things. And so you know the story with Jacob and Esau. Jacob cheated his brother Esau out of his birthright. You remember the story whenever Esau had been out hunting Esau, it says, was a man of the wild, and he liked to hunt, he liked to fish, he liked to be outdoors. He had hair all over him, that's what his name meant. But Jacob was smooth-skinned. Now listen, let me tell you this. Whenever you read a physical description of a person in the Bible, sit up and pay attention. It matters, it's important. Esau came out red and hairy, like a wild animal. He stayed outside, outdoors. Jacob was born with smooth skin, and he dwelt in tents. Esau's father, Isaac, loved him. Jacob's mother, Rebekah, loved him. So he was kind of the mama's boy, right? He didn't want to go outside. He wanted to stay inside. He had smooth skin. He was slick. He was slippery. Jacob could get out of any situation. He was clever. He was witty. He could manipulate. He could bribe. He could cheat, lie, steal. That's who he was. He lived up to his name. And his brother was out hunting and came back starving. And Jacob had made this red lentil stew. And Esau said, give me some of that stew. And he said, uh-uh-uh. What's it worth to you? He said, will you give me your birthright? See, Jacob wanted to be blessed, but he knew Esau was in the way. So even though God had already promised him the blessing, he thinks he's got to control and manipulate and deceive and cheat. So his brother said, well, it's worth my life because I'm going to die if I don't eat. And he said, well, give me your birthright then. And he took it. Well, not long after that, Jacob and Esau's father, Isaac, was old. He was blind. He was about to die. And so he told his favorite son, the eldest, Esau, he said, look, go out and catch me some wild game. Cook it the way I like it. Bring it in to me so I can eat it and be satisfied, and then I will bless you. Well, Jacob's mother overheard this, and she said, uh-oh, this is not going to work. You know the story, right? So she told Jacob. She said, Jacob, listen, quick. Go get a goat, bring it in, let me cook it and prepare it, and then take it into your father so you can get a blessing. And he's like, that, sound, that sounds strange. She said, no, just trust me, just do it, and we'll tape. Uh, we will tape goat hair on you so that you'll feel like Esau, 
I'll let you wear one of his garments so that you'll smell like Esau. You remember the story? So that's exactly what Jacob did. He went into his father, deceiving his dad. And his dad said, who are you? What's your name? And he said, my name's Esau. And so he blessed him and he gave him a blessing. And then right after that, his brother Esau came in and he found out what happened. And he was just irate, angry. And this is what he said. Check this out. This is going to prove important. Here we go. Isaac said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. The next thing that happens, Esau says, I'm going to kill him. As soon as my father dies and the period of grieving is over, I'm going to kill my brother. So Jacob hears and he goes, uh-oh, time for a vacation. And slick little Jacob goes on a 20-year vacation and goes and visits his uncle Laban, finds a wife named Rachel and Leah. You know the story of that. And he accumulates a lot of wealth, a lot of possessions. He has 12 children and he's coming back home. And he's thinking, you know what? Esau lives here and it's been 20 years and I've got to face him, so I better send word that I'm back, and surely he's forgotten that little thing we did, you know, the little cheat, steal thing. So he sends word that he's, that he's in town, and he wants to meet Esau. He sends messengers, and the messengers come back, and they say, hey, uh, we met Esau, and he's coming to meet you, and he's got 400 men with him. You remember the story? Let me read to you Jacob's reaction to this. Let me find it here. It is in verse 6. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. So here's Jacob, panicking, anxious, fearful, terrified. His brother's hacked. He has not forgotten any of that stuff, Jacob thinks. And he's coming, and what's he going to do to me? I've got... He's got 400 trained men. He's a valiant soldier. He's a warrior. He lives outside. I don't stand a chance. I've got two wives. I've got 12 children, a bunch of livestock, and he's going to kill me. So he goes into Jacob mode. He starts scheming. He starts planning. He starts dividing up his company. He's going to bribe his brother. He's going to send over gifts. I'll let you read the rest of that a little bit later. We don't have time to go through all of that. But when Jacob has done everything, we see in verse 23... That night, he took his family, he sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had. And what's verse 24 say? And Jacob was left alone. Here he is. He's alone. His family's crossed the river. His livestock, his wealth, his children, his servants. It's just Jacob. It's just Jacob. He's alone. He's confronted with his life. And he is a deeply burdened man. He comes face to face with, how, how did I get here? You ever, have you ever been burdened like that? How did I get here? What is, what is going on in my life? How did this happen? Deeply reflective. You know, that verse in Psalm 46 says, be still, know that I'm God. So many people miss out on that because they will not get still. And sometimes God has to force us to get alone. He has to force us to. In, the, in this busy, distracted age that we live in with social media and 24-hour news channels and everyone's connected, it's, so, it's such a rare thing for us to get alone and put the noise away for a little bit, turn the distractions off 
That is a huge obstacle. You know one of the greatest psychological phenomenons that, that sociologists are talking about today? It's called FOMO. Have you heard of that? F-O-M-O. -O. You know what it is? Fear of missing out. A lot of younger people have this anxiety, especially if they're connected on social media. They are so afraid of missing out on something. So afraid. They're paralyzed with it. To the extent that even when they're invited to things and they finally commit to going, they're still fearful that they didn't leave their options open and something else may happen that they'll miss out on. And it's a huge distraction because it takes away from them being alone, just the solitude that God created us to have with Him. Just the quiet and the still of being alone with God. No more human help, no more codependency, no more distractions, no more bailouts, nothing else to distract your mind, no music, no Netflix, no social media, just you and God. Especially today in 2019, that is a huge obstacle. I think, to people experiencing true breakthroughs when they're stuck in this cycle. Jacob is left alone in his fear and his distress and his anxiety. He's greatly afraid. All he knows is that Esau's coming. This would be like you getting a text from somebody whose approval you desperately want but you're uncertain of, and they send you a text and they say, we need to, we need to talk. You ever get one of those? We need to talk right away. Uh-oh. <laughs> does your heart start beating a little bit faster? Mine does. Confession time. Mine does. So this silence of Esau is terrifying. Is he coming with weapons? What's he coming to do? He's all alone. And that's what, that scares people to death, being alone with themselves, with them thoughts. There's a comedian and a philosopher. His name is Louis C.K., and he was on Late Night with Conan O'Brien a few years ago, and he was talking about the culture of smartphones and social media and what it does to us. And this is what he said. He said, smartphones are taking away our ability to just sit there. That's being a person. Because underneath everything in your life, there's that thing, that empty, forever empty, that knowledge that it's all for nothing and that you're alone. It's down there. And sometimes when things clear away, you're not watching anything. You're in your car, and you start going, oh, no. Here it comes. I'm alone. It starts to visit on you. Just this sadness. Life is tremendously sad, he says, just by being in it. That's why we text and drive. He says, I look around. Pretty much 100% of the people driving are texting. And everybody's murdering each other with their cars. But people are willing to risk taking a life and ruining their own because they don't want to be alone for a second. He's dead right. You know what all this is when you're driving? It's a distraction. It's I got to feel loved. I got to feel involved. I got to feel my community. People care about me. People love me. We text in people. Hi, how are you? And we wait. Does anybody care? And this gets lost, eclipsed, rubbed out, snubbed out. And we truly miss out. I believe that's my observation, 20 years of ministry. That's the first obstacle. People miss out on that. And listen, maybe here's some application. Maybe that means a significant relationship has ended and you think God's crushing you. Maybe God is, is finally putting you in a place where he really is about to bless you. But there's pain that's got to come first, that pain of loneliness maybe. Or maybe somebody stepped out of your life. Maybe a, 
Maybe your parents both passed away now, or maybe you're an empty nester, and there's just, just noisy quietness, I guess you could say. Be encouraged. Maybe God's up to something there. Obstacle number two. Not only is people refusing to be alone with just them and God and themselves really an obstacle. Here's the second one. Weakness. This is a big one, friends. Weakness. Now, you need to know this about Jacob. It's interesting if you read his life. He is at least 60 years old here when this happened. 60-year-old man wrestling all night. Do you guys know much about wrestling? I'm not talking about the kind I watched growing up in Arkansas. Jerry Lawler and it's all fake. Just spoiler alert. I know you can hit me later. I'm from Arkansas and I'm telling you it's all fake, right? But this is not fake wrestling here. This is the real kind that the people had the, you know, <laughs> they're down on the mat. It's, it, nobody walked up to Jacob and punched him. You know, it, honestly, as a 44-year-old, if somebody walked up now and wanted to fight me and they punched me, you know what I'd do? I'm still pretty fast. I'd run away. I'd run away. But listen, what if somebody jumped out of nowhere and they grabbed you and wrestled you to the ground? Where are you going to go? You're not going to go anywhere, are you? Can't run away. Do you know much about professional wrestling, though? You know, my understanding is, correct me if I'm wrong, some of you wrestlers out there, there are three two-minute bouts in a wrestling match. That's six minutes total. Have you seen how exhausting it is for the people that are wrestling? I mean, I had a brother growing up. I wrestled all the time. I had cousins. I had friends. We would wrestle at our peak when we were like, I don't know, 16. You know, your health is maxed out and you can wrestle for 10 minutes and you're done. You need water. You got to go lay down. Can you imagine being 60 years old and somebody jumping on you in the middle of the night when you're anxious, you're afraid, you're terrified, you're paranoid? wrestling you to the ground. What's this text say? You guys reading this? Look at this. What's it say? And Jacob was left alone, verse 24, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day all night long. Somebody jumps on your back, this mysterious assailant. You don't know who they are. Is this somebody just going to steal my wallet? Is this somebody, is this my past catching up with me? What do you think Jacob, who do you think Jacob thought that was? He thought it was Esau. I would have thought that. Oh my goodness, Esau's taking a play out of my own book. He's beat me to the punch. He went around the, the, the river Javik and jumped on my back. No, this is, <laughs> that would have been a fight. Wouldn't that have been a tussle? You remember what I told you? Your biggest fights aren't with who you think they are? No, this is somebody much more, how can I say this? Menacing than Esau. This is God. Surprise, Jacob, God showed up. When you're alone, when you're afraid, when you're in the dark. Surprise, it's God. Till the break of day. Why? What's he doing to Jacob? You know, Jacob's strong. You read his life. My wife and I were talking about this last night. Or one of our little babies, they would grab a handful of the, one of my daughter's hairs when they were holding them. Have you ever tried to, like, get a baby's grip when he has your... It's, Jacob, had, he grabbed his brother's heel and he's, like, hanging on for dear life. He's got a grip now. And you read a little bit later when he met his fiancée, he was trying to impress her, and he rolled this humongous stone off the mouth of a well. It usually took several men to do that. Jacob did it by himself to water the sheep and to, you know, show his fiancée how, how savvy he was, I guess. And he worked for his uncle Laban for 20 years in the heat of the Middle East. 
I mean, he's, he's a hoss. He's no, I know he's a man of tents and he dwelt inside, but he's a strong man. And Jacob has always trusted in his strength, and he has also, he's also trusted in his cleverness, his wittiness. If you read the story of the last 20 years, his uncle Laban tried to pull one over on him, and Jacob beat him to the punch. And he has left uncle Laban with both of his daughters, all his grandchildren, and most of his flock of sheep and goats and rams. He's clever, man. Jacob always comes out on top. Jacob's always got, you got a plan A? No problem. Jacob's got a plan B, a plan C, and a plan D. He is a manipulator and a controller. You're not going to out-wrestle Jacob. He always comes out on top, but not this time. Uh-uh. No. The thing that Jacob has trusted in, his strength, his cleverness, God is wearing him down all night all night wrestling over can you have you ever had a really important day i mean can you imagine how much jacob needed his rest he needed a full deep rem replenishing night of sleep so he could wake up and be on his a game i got i gotta buy off my brother i gotta bribe him i gotta send over you know one flock after the next i gotta give them detailed instruction now say this uh your servant jacob wants to give these gifts to my lord i mean he was he was back to scheming and manipulating. He needed his rest. And it's interesting, if you back up a little bit, when Jacob heard what was happening, he prayed. Look what it says, verse 9 of chapter 32. He heard that Esau was coming and he said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. And then verse 11, look at this. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me. He is praying for God to deliver him. You know what that means? Like, God, you need to come and you need to take care of Esau. Divert him. Kill him. Destroy his men. I don't care. And, and Lord, you need to give me a good night's rest. Come and encourage me and strengthen me and build me up. Come and bless me, God. And you know what, what God comes and does? God comes and he doesn't strengthen Jacob. He weakens Jacob. He wears him out all night long. Has God ever done that to you? And you ever think, God, what are you doing? This is not what I prayed for at all. This is not what I need at all. He needs to be at his wits. Have you ever gone on no sleep at all and add to that wrestling all night? I mean, if you have, don't answer that on you. <laughs> but can you imagine? I mean, you need to be, all your mental faculties, you need to have great presence of mind and strength and clarity. And it's like, man, when you wake up in the morning, you're done. No, God rubbed him down. He weakened him. The very thing that Jacob had trusted in his strength, God took it from him. It's just so interesting the way that God works. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite guys to read, he said this. Because Jacob is a burdened man and he wants to be blessed. Doesn't he? But there's this middle step, see, that we all avoid and it's called brokenness. Brokenness. I heard a speaker in Birmingham that applied this passage to anxiety in the counseling room. And he says, usually if you have an anxious client... Uh, you want to hold their hand, you want to encourage them, you want to strengthen them, you want to bless them. He said, this is the last thing you would do. <laughs> Jump on a client's back and wrestle them to the ground, you know? 
But one of my favorite guys to read is A.W. Tozer, and he said this, It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Do you ever feel like God's doing that to you? Like, God, why are you crushing me? Why are you wearing me down? Why are you weakening me? This is not what I need. This is not what I asked for. Oh, listen, my friends, God may be up to something. This may be the breakthrough and the transformation that you have longed for but have never. It's always been elusive, just one step ahead of you. Finally, God has got you alone and God is weakening you. That's encouraging me. When I see that, people are talking to me or maybe I'm counseling them and they're sharing these things and I'm smiling and they're thinking, are you a maniacal, what kind of sinister counselor? And I'm thinking, oh man, God's up to something here. God has got you. You think he's got you in a corner? This is exactly where God wants you to be. He is weakening you from your self-reliance, from your trust. Smooth skin Jacob, he squirms out of everything. Not when you get wrestled to the ground by an angel of the Lord. You're not going anywhere, Jacob. We got business to do here. It's a really interesting story. This is the most important night of Jacob's life. And the last thing he thought God would do would be come and break him. He wants God to come and fix him. Don't we? We want God come and fix me. Come and, come and fix my spouse. Come and fix my kids. Come and fix my business. Come and fix this struggle. And God says, how about this? How, how about I do this? How about I come and I break you? See, listen, this is what's so weird about this, guys. Satan wants to break you. But he wants you to stay broken. God wants you broken so that he can restore you and repair you and build you up. That's the difference. That's the difference. God is breaking Jacob. Maybe God's breaking you. He has to break you to fix you. See, Jacob thinks his problem is Esau. <laughs> right? That's not his problem. He thinks his problem is, my mom coddled me when I was young. And she did, it's true. His father didn't even like him. I mean, if you had him in a counseling room, what would you say? Oh, bless your heart, you know. Your dad neglected you. True. Your mom coddled you. True. Your brother married out of the family and out of the faith. True. And you messed up and did some things to your brother, so you're paranoid. True. God didn't come and fix any of those things yet. God said, Jacob, your biggest problem is you. That's your biggest problem. And you're not going to face that until I get you alone, until I wear you down. And so often God does that, and we're trying, we're trying to get out of it. God, just fix this. Get me out of this. And God says, no, I'm answering your prayer. You prayed for deliverance. I'm going to deliver you, but not in the way you think I am. God knows what he's doing, doesn't he? He knows what you're trusting in. And it's really interesting. If you, if you read the rest of this, look at this. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, this gets really weird. You're thinking, what? This... This is, an, this is God? Yes, it is. It's an angel. In fact, there it is. Do you see it up there? Go back to Hosea. This is Hosea chapter 12. What's going on here? Am I doing that? Sorry about that. Hang on. Well, that's all right. Hosea chapter 12 says that this is a... Wait. It says it's an angel of the Lord. It says that an angel came and wrestled with Jacob. And listen, this is no ordinary angel. I believe this is a pre-incarnate figure of the Lord Jesus Christ that's wrestling personally with Jacob. That's my belief. Here it is. Thank you. In the womb, Jacob took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood, he strove with God. Who's he fighting here? God. 
He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. I would have liked to, when I get to heaven, I want to say, Lord, a lot of things I want to see. Creation, uh, crossing of the Red Sea. Can you show me the wrestling match? I just want to see it. I want to hear the grunts and see the blood and the struggle. But check this out. It's interesting because it's almost like this angel's playing with Jacob. It says, when the angel saw that he couldn't prevail, it's like, oh, oh, Jacob, you ever do that with your kids? They're tussling with you and you're, and you're, acting, you're, you're, you're weakening yourself intentionally so that they can feel strong, but you're letting them wear themselves out and you're throwing them around. It says, when the angel saw, the man saw that he could not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint. Oh, now Jacob knows this is no man. Isn't that interesting? God breaks him. What has Jacob done his whole life? Ran. He's ran from every problem that he ever had. He's been strong. He's been clever. He's been cunning. He's been slippery. Oh, Jacob. And he's got plan A, B, and C. And he's dodgy. And you can't nail him down. Oh, well, God can. And he did. And he said, Jacob, you're exhausted. And now just to make sure you don't go anywhere, pop. You know, if you're a wrestler and your legs are taken out, or worse, if your hips dislocated, you're done, man. You're done. You ain't going to be wrestling. And I have heard, anybody in here ever dislocated their hip? All right, you can tell me later. I have heard that's one of the most excruciatingly painful experiences you can ever have. And God does that to Jacob. What the heck? <laughs> I ask you to come and deliver me, not break my hip, God. What are you doing? You're not getting away, Jacob. You're not getting away. He's weakening him. He's rubbing him down, wearing him down, crippling him. Isn't that interesting? God came and he crippled Jacob. What the heck kind of God is this? The, the man that was teaching on this at the conference says, this doesn't sound like the Jesus I know about. Jesus who comes and heals the lame and restores people. What's he doing? He's answering Jacob's prayer. This is the really interesting thing. Just a little footnote here. I know a lot of people, they want, they want to have an experience. They want to have real breakthrough. They want to break out of this cycle. And if they could just have this awesome worship experience and maybe heaven would open up and they would see angels. And You know, Jacob had an experience like that 20 years ago. Whenever he was running away from Esau, he found this place he called Bethel, House of God. And he laid his head down and he had a dream. And he saw heaven open up. And there was a ladder. Jacob's ladder is where you get this story. Or it's where you get that name. And he saw angels ascending and descending. And he woke up. And he was like, whoa, this is awesome. This is the very house of God. God surely is in this place. And I didn't even know it. And he was terrified. He named the place Bethel, the house of God. Now, this is just a question. Be honest. If you had an experience like that, do you think it would change you? I feel like, man, God, I mean, I wish I could see angels, man. That, that... I could break out of some of the cycles I have. God would give me a vision like that. But, but you know what? Here we are, 20 years later, same old Jacob. Cheating, lying, stealing, manipulating. He won't confront his true problem. So God had to come and dislocate his hip and wrestle him to the ground and get him alone in the dark, terrified, and wear him out. God ever done that to you? He's saving you, but it feels like he's killing you. Biggest fight of your life is with God. Well, here's the last point. And this is the big one, guys. 
This is the big one. You may be alone. You may be worn down and weak, but until this happens, there's not going to be any breakthrough. Here's the biggest moment. It's honesty. God wants you alone. God wants you weakened, and God wants you to be honest. Check this out. Look at what's next. Verse 25, when a man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. See, he knows this is not a man. This is God. If he's got the power to end this thing in five seconds, he's got the power to bless me. And Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. It's funny, Jacob didn't ask him that until he was worn down, until he was broken, until his hip was, was dislocated. And so, verse 27, and he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Now, what's that all about? When you read something like that, slow down in the Bible. What is God showing us here? He says, Jacob, I'm going to bless you, but not until you come face to face with who you really are. Time to fess up, Jacob. Listen, do you think that angel knew who he was? Think he knew what his name was? Yeah. Is he asking for information here? No. He could have said, who's your father? Who's your mother? Who's your brother? No. He's asking about his identity. Jacob, I want you to tell me who you really are. Who's the real problem here? It's not Esau. It's not your mom. It's not your dad. It's not your uncle Laban. You don't have a hard life. You don't have a hard marriage. You don't have hard kids. You don't have a hard boss. You have a hard heart. And until you confess that to me, we're done. And look what Jacob says. He says, Jacob. My name's Jacob. I'm a cheat. I'm a fraud. I'm a deceiver. I'm a thief. This is beautiful, guys. This is beautiful. True breakthrough will not come until you're alone, until you're weak, and not trusting in your own strength, and until you're honest with God and with yourself. See, people don't want to face themselves. That's why they won't get alone. That's the scariest thing in the world for you to come face to face with is who you really are. And most people won't do it. You know, I have talked to Christians and they're, and they're so skeptical of the AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and now there's many other 12-step type programs. Christians are scoffing because they can't understand how can, uh, how can uh, this program have so much success when it's rallying around a problem and not Jesus. Even though there are some Christian themes in, if you're familiar with it, there are some Christian and biblical themes weaved into the 12-step process. But they're like, how, how can that happen? You know what's interesting about it? I believe the, the, the success ratio that you see with 12-step with programs like AA is because of the honesty. It's the honesty. You know what the first step in Alcoholics Anonymous is? You know what it is? Let me read it to you. This is interesting says, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol. There's something powerful about being honest. Like, I am an alcoholic, and I am absolutely out of control, and I cannot manage this on my own. It's honesty. It's really interesting. There's a, a song that I like about shame, and it's got a piece by a kind of a rap, Christian rap guy named Annie Mineo. Am I saying that right? And it's talking about the shame of being enslaved to pornography. And he says this, and I'm not going to rap it the right way, so don't, okay. <laughs> Became a Christian. No, I'm just kidding. 
Became a Christian, heard about God's power. Couldn't see it in my life, but I could tell you all about it. Overloaded with knowledge, making so little progress. Became a public figure, but my struggles were in private. Only started tasting freedom when I'm being honest. And I learned that when I'm weak is when I'm seeing God the strongest. I know some people are going to be quick to throw stones, but I'll take all those hits so you know you're not alone. And after 28 years of life, I decided everybody's crooked. Some just do a better job of hiding it. Oh, how good does freedom taste. I hope they give me the forgiveness they're going to need one day, I pray. Isn't that beautiful? There is such freedom in confession. When you say, God, I am, and then name it. Just name it. God, I'm, what is it? I'm an abuser. I'm an addict. I'm filled with lust. I'm filled with envy. I'm filled with bitterness. My expectations are off the charts too high. I'm a deceiver. I'm proud. I'm angry. There is a power in confessing that. God. I'm not just talking about right now. I'm talking about when you're alone with God and he has you where he wants you. Jacob had to say, I'm a cheat. I'm a manipulator. I'm a controller, God. That's who I am. That's who I've always been. And I've been thinking I've been running from Esau and running from my past and running from my dad and my mom and my uncle. And God says, no, you've been running from yourself. And I've dislocated your hip and we're going to change your character right now. God says, I can't change your identity until you confess what it is. And he did right there. He said, I'm Jacob. That's who I am, God. That's who I've always been. But I don't want to be. I want to be delivered from this. And you know what God did? Check this out. And he said to him, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. How'd you like to have your identity changed? How'd you like to have your character changed? That's what God did for Jacob. He said, you're not going to be Jacob any longer. From now on, you're Israel. What's Israel mean? It means you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. And he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. Jacob got blessed. But he had to get broken. See, here, here's what happens. Here, here we are. Burdened Christian. And we want to be over here. Blessed Christian. And right here is breakthrough. But you know what else is here? Brokenness. Alone, weakened, and honest. And we run from those things. We hate them. Scares us to death. That's why so many people, I believe, are stuck in these patterns, cycles. They fall in the same thing over and over and over again because they refuse to come face to face with who they really are because it scares them so bad. I went to a conference the other day. I was telling you about it on anxiety <clears throat> and I came home to my family who I loved and missed and it had been I don't know three or four days maybe and I came home <clears throat> and my wife was watching some kids and our kids were everywhere and the place was a mess sorry honey just being honest <laughs> and I said, man, how, how are things going? I missed you. I love you. And she said, it's going great. And then we talked for a little bit. I said, how, how were you guys? How was it? She said, it was good. It was really good. She said, it was, it was really peaceful. 
and the tension sometimes that's at our home wasn't there when you were gone. Man, I gotta tell you, man, that hurt. That hurt. But my wife can say that because we've been married 15 years and she loves me and she's honest with me. And you know what? The next three days, man, that was hard for me. I had one of these moments. That's why I wanted to preach on this. Because you know who I am? I'm a control freak. I want a clean house and I don't care who's on edge because of it. I want, you know, I want the dishes this way. I want the furniture this way. I, I, want, I want a vacuum here and there and I want the rooms put away. And I want the kids in bed at this time. And I'm, that's, that's who I am, Lord. And, and if I want God to change me, I got to come face to face with that. Say, I'm a manipulator and a control. I want my way and I'm willing to step on people to, to get it. Maybe you struggle with that too. Maybe that's an identity shift that needs to take place in your heart too. It's hard, man. That's heavy stuff. That's what God wants. You know, one of the most powerful stories in the Old Testament is when David went in to Bathsheba and he committed adultery and as far as we know, committed rape. We don't know, read anything about consent in that story. And David goes on his way, living his life, and he's confronted with, by Nathan the prophet. You remember the story? Nathan comes and tells him a story very cleverly, very wisely, very tenderly. And David says, whoever did this should die. And you remember what Nathan the prophet says? He says, you are the man. It's you. He points his bony prophetic finger in David's face. He said, you're the man. He doesn't say you did something. He didn't say you slipped up. You had a lapse in judgment. He said, that's you, David. You did that because you're an, an adulterous, abusive man. You did that. You're a murderer. You, you, you did that. You're a be, you betrayed your friend, Uriah the Hittite. It's who you are. And it's interesting if you read David's Psalm of Repentance, Psalm 51. You can, that'd be a great meditation for, for Lord's Day. This is what David said in Psalm 51. Check this out. He said, Behold, you desire truth in the inner parts. When I talk to people about repentance, that's the first place that I go. Until you are willing to confess to God, this is who I am. That's why I did that. Now, I know our identities shift, and we're in Christ, and we're a new creation. I get those things. I understand those. But repentance is when you say, God, this wasn't just a little lapse in judgment. It wasn't a little mistake that I made. I did this because this is who I am. You've got to change me. You've got to transform me. He says, you desire truth in the inward parts. And verse 17 continues. It says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Jacob had to come clean. You know, when he was younger and he went in to get the blessing from his dad, you remember that? And his father is blind and he's about to give a blessing to who he thinks is Esau and Jacob's tricking him and he says, I want to give you the blessing. Who are you, my son? And Jacob lied and he said, I am Esau. He got the blessing, but he, but he was deceiving to get it. He got it the wrong way and it was bestowed the wrong way. And now the tapes rewound 20 years later, 30 years later maybe. And God says, I'm going to bless you, Jacob, but let's try that again. Who are you? Who are you? And he says, I'm Esau. I'm sorry. <laughs> he, he, he says, I'm Jacob. That's who I am. And God says, all right, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to change you forever. 
and, and then check this out. Last part here. Verse 30. Verse 30. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. That word delivered is packed full. It doesn't just mean I was spared. It means I was changed. I was restored. God just didn't come and, like, protect you from Esau. You can read chapter 33 later and see how that went down. He came and he changed you. This is so interesting to me. He says, I saw God face to face and I was delivered. Now, if you're like me, when I read a story like this, I'm like, okay, hang on a minute. Old Testament here. If you saw God face to face, you were annihilated, right? You can't see God and live, the Bible says, especially face to face. Moses couldn't even look at God in the, his hindquarters. He could barely see him. God had to cover and shield Moses from his glory. But not only did he see God, he, he touched God, and yet he survived. How in the world can a sinning, deceiving, conniving, controlling, manipulating, treacherous man like Jacob be in the presence of God, behold his face, and be spared? How can that happen? Because somebody else took Jacob's place, and they were in God's presence, and they were destroyed. They weren't just crippled. Jesus wasn't just crippled by God on the cross. He was crushed. See, Jacob was alone, he was weakened, he was honest, and he was blessed. Right? We want that. Don't you want that? Well, the only way you can get that is because Jesus was alone, and he was weakened, and he was honest, and he was cursed. He was crushed. He was broken. Jacob just had his hip touched, and he was out of socket. The Bible says Jesus' body was broken. He was maimed. He was slaughtered for you and I so that we can see God literally face to face one day and not be, not be destroyed. Isn't that amazing? That was risky what Jacob did. He risked his life. Jesus gave his life so that you and I could be blessed. He had to take that curse. He, Jacob got grace. Jesus got wrath. That's ultimately what this story, I believe, is all about. That's the blessing. Jacob got his name changed. And the name change means this. I have striven or fought with God and I've prevailed. Well, what the heck? Does that, does that sound to you like Jacob won the fight? I mean, imagine you're Jacob's family the next morning, okay? Just sanctified imagination here. The sun is rising. You're like, man, where's Jacob? It's time to go. Esau's coming. And you're like, hey, hey, there, there he is. Oh, man. Oh, man, he's limping bad. What the heck? Look at his hair. He's got a bloody nose, his eyes swollen shut, his hips out of socket. The heck, it looks like he got in a fight with a dog and the dog won. And Jacob's limping up and he's got this exhausted smile on his face. And you're like, Jacob, what in the heck happened? And he says, I got blessed last night. <laughs> and you say, that doesn't look like any victorious Christian I've ever seen. Usually doesn't. Usually they got a limp, don't they? They usually got a limp. Usually got a reminder. I'm a broken man so that I could be a blessed man. You know, in the New Testament, we're even in better territory. I'm closing, I promise. Not only do we prevail, the Bible says we are more than conquerors through Christ who saved us. Man, doesn't that make you just want to charge hell with a water pistol? <laughs> do backflips? It does me. More than conquerors. We are in Christ. We have a changed identity. We have a changed character. We have a changed destiny. 
We have these promises that are all yes and amen in Jesus. Maybe you are on the verge of a breakthrough. Guys, don't run from these things. When God is putting you alone, when he is wearing you down and weakening you, when he's breaking you, and when he is inviting you to be honest and confess who you really are so he can change you, don't run from that. Run to it so that you can have that blessing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for just the power and the clarity and the authority of your word. It just resonates with us. Lord, even a story thousands of years, that happened thousands of years ago in another country, in another culture, with another language, this resonates with all of us, Lord. We have all experienced some measure of, of what took place there. Maybe some of us in an incomplete way and we ran away before you really accomplished what you were seeking to accomplish with us. I pray, Lord, we would be willing to, to let you draw near to us. Better to wrestle with you, Lord, than, than any other adversary. I pray for the people in this congregation, Lord, who maybe that point about honesty hits them the way it does me. Lord, we know we could blame our situation on so many other people. And, and there are times, Lord, where there is abuse and it is real and it is terrible. And may God have mercy on the leaders, the parents, uh, the perpetrators that have committed either sexual abuse or spiritual abuse. Lord, they are guilty and may justice prevail and mercy prevail too. May you change them. But in Jacob's situation and maybe uh, many times with, with some of us, we just let our, our, our true heart condition be eclipsed, Lord, with blame shifting. I pray that you would just do a work in us this morning that only you can do. I thank you for this amazing church family, for the way they have encouraged me and my family and my wife. Thank you for the, the things you're showing me about my, my own heart, Lord. And I'm so encouraged today. And I know you're doing a work in the lives of many of the people here. I pray you would continually be with us, Lord, as we trust you. I ask and pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.